0: Welcome to The Hockey Show, presented by Coors Light. Breakaway for non-stop chill. The Hockey Show. On Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Ready? Let's rush the zone.
1: Good morning, everybody. Hey now, it's the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000 presented by Coors Light. Break away from the non-stop chill with Brian Hanley. I am Pat Boyle coming to you from the first Midwest Bank Studios. How you doing this morning, Brian? We're halfway through the season. How'd that happen? And they're uh, in a playoff spot, firmly entrenched. That in the, that, that's the big question. <laughs> and we've got an hour to dis- dissect that the first half. And uh, can we expect to see this team in the same spot 28 games from now. It's been another eventful week for the Blackhawks. They bounced back from that two-game skid the other night where they uh, allowed, what, 12 goals Boy. in five periods to Tampa and Dallas. They uh, they get the split in Dallas, winning 4-2. to Wasn't your conventional uh, way to win a hockey game? Four goals on
2: uh, eight shots at one point. <laughs> I know. You don't usually see goaltenders getting yanked with a 500 save percentage
1: yeah, it was, on eight it, shots. It, it was crazy. Other good news, uh, Kirby Doc is traveling with the team. Looks like he's ahead of schedule from returning from that wrist injury. Uh, Kevin Lankinen was spectacular on Thursday. We had Patrick Kane's 1,000th game. Maybe that was a little bit of a distraction to the boys on Tuesday night, but... A lot going on out there. Uh, what did you take away from the, the week's events from the Blackhawks' perspective?
2: Well, let's start with the Kane one thousand. And, and and loved your podcast. And hopefully, we'll hear some of that interview with Patrick. Uh, and we'll talk to Mark Lazarus about his story in the athletic uh, with Patrick Kane and how he came to be the NHL star he is. But you know that the starting with the salute as he came out of the ice it reminded me of, like Ring Night for our teams when they're the first game of the following season when they're getting their championship rings. And it's a little bit of a distraction, right? So obviously they planned a little salute to Patrick, which is nice, but obviously they weren't focused on the, the task at hand. And you and I talked about this a little bit. I mean, it struck me going into that game Thursday night, that it was a pretty big game for this Blackhawks team because they hadn't had a three game losing streak since the end of January And it just felt like if they came out and and had a similar effort and result to those six-goal games previous to that, given the schedule on the road here with Florida tonight, and we talked about the 13-game stretch they're in, that this thing seems so fragile still that that could have gone south in a big way. I mean, that three-game losing streak could have turned into five or six. But they found a way. I mean, they got dominated and they found a way to win.
1: You start to look at the, the Central Division and the teams that are below the Blackhawks. So the the, the Blackhawks are in the four spot with 33 points. Uh, they have a seven-point cushion on the 5 seed Columbus. And when you look at Dallas, Dallas was within 10 points going into Thursday night's game. They still have six games in hand to play. Uh, had they won that game, they would have been eight points back with those six games in hand. All of a sudden, they're the one team in the bottom four. Now I'm not saying Columbus can't go on a run here, but Dallas looks to be the one that is in position uh that that could actually give the Hawks a run for that four spot, depending on how they handle those six games. Now, as Edzo pointed out on the broadcast Thursday, Dallas hasn't won back to back games. Since late January. So it's not like they, you know, because they have those six games in hand, you can sit there and say, oh, well, we'll go four and two or five and one. Right. They haven't shown it so far. So it was interesting the other night. It was good to see the power play get a couple goals. What my biggest concern is with this team is the penalty kill. And in those two losses to Dallas and Tampa earlier in the week, it was a parade to the penalty box in the lightning game. They ended up allowing four power play goals from Tampa, that just can't happen. A, you can't take the stupid penalties, the penalties in the offensive zone. You also have to be better than whatever, they're 27th, 28th in the league on the penalty kill. Uh, Right now, they're making hay on, on the man advantage. I think they're top four in the league right now on the power play. But the penalty kill has to improve if this team wants to get into the playoffs.
2: Yeah, we talked about it last week uh, in our short show that even though they had a big kill in that game previous to to our Saturday show, it had been trending in the wrong direction. And as you mentioned, it, it's uh, among the least successful units in the league. So to get five, you know, perfect five of five killing man, man advantages in that game the other night was huge. But you can't count on that. And at some point, when you look at this with a critical eye, moving forward and, and the, the big picture, long term, the Kevin Lincoln and, and I'm still a little surprised that Subban didn't get the start last Sunday after having the big shutout, but they went with Lincoln and he was really good the other night. But Kevin Lincoln plus special teams equals wins. That that's great when it works, but long term, I don't know how you sustain that when you can you know you look the Corsi numbers. And it's just teams are dominating possession with the puck, and you can't score without the puck. So it seems like it, it, they've been a little lucky at times, but Jeremy Carlton, you know, he looks at shots and he says, I don't count shots, I count scoring chances. So when team, when when the Blackhawks get dominated through two periods, um, you know, including 22 and and no shots in the you know, second period, whatever it was, uh, 30 and 16 through two periods, the coach doesn't get uh, – perturbed about that, but at some point that catches up to you.
1: Will the Hawks stay in this playoff spot in the next 28 games? 3123323776. Uh, if you miss any part of the show, you can always catch it on our podcast. Uh you can download the app ESPN Chicago and you can also listen and watch the show on Twitch, twitch.tv/espn1000chicago. Let's go to the phone lines. Brandon in California. He's first up on the hockey show on ESPN 1000. Good morning, Brandon.
3: Gentlemen, as always, phenomenal show. Uh, can't miss radio. So uh, I'm glad that you uh, have longer than a half hour today. So
0: thank you. <laughs> Appreciate so
1: that,
3: Brandon. Yeah. Hey, a uh, couple um, concerned are you guys right now with you know the goalie yo-yoing that's happening? Um, it, it feels like my uh, weight during COVID going up and down, up and down. <laughs> um, and and then um, just curious about. Uh, As we look towards the trade deadline, you guys are both pretty dialed in with this team. Um, What are you thinking uh, about? Are they going to do anything? Do you stay, uh, you know, do you just hold? And then also, Kirby Doc, it's good to see him back. And so just really excited about that. And Patrick Sharp is really good on TV. I'll hang up
1: and keep listening on the app right here in California. Brandon, thank you very much. Thanks for uh, listening in California. Um, He's up
2: early, too, by the way. Yeah, he is.
1: He is. Uh, Let's talk about a, a, a few of the things he touched on. First off, the trade deadline is April 12th. I do not, they've got plenty of cap room with their LTIR situation with Seabrook. Uh, out on LTIR with Taves out with Andrew Shaw. I mean they have they have a ton of flexibility in cap. Twenty six
2: million. Yeah. if they wanted to. If
1: they wanted to. I don't. That that's not that's not the direction this team told us they were going. They didn't tell us that. You know, at the trade deadline, they they planned on adding pieces like an Antoine Vermette, like they've done in, in years past. I think. I think they're looking at Kirby Dock as the the ultimate trade deadline acquisition. They're getting their their second best center uh back in all likelihood it looks like it'll be early to mid April. Uh, I mean if he's skating with the team he's not been cleared for contact as of yet. Of course that, you know, wrist injury is is uber important when you're talking about a centerman. So And they've been kind of cautious with it. They said, you know, you're going to see him on the ice and you're going to think he's ready to go. And we're still going to hold him out. So I think they look at Kirby Dock as a as a possible trade, quote unquote, trade deadline acquisition. And there's still Jonathan Taves out there. I know you saw him the other night. We had him on the broadcast for Patrick's 1000th game. I thought the captain looked good. I thought it was encouraging just just to see him. We haven't seen him since the bubble in Edmonton.
2: Yeah, uh, he did look like he's lost weight to me. He's not in plain shape, and uh, there's no suggestion that he's going to be back this year. And we thought the doc was going to miss, at the minimum, the the regular season here, right? And and at the time he was out, who knew they'd be holding a a playoff position halfway through the season? So yeah, I remember when Stan Bowman would join us a few weeks ago, I gave him the old hypothetical. Hey, if this team finds another level, and they were playing pretty well at that point, and – one of the surprises of the league um what what how do you approach that April twelfth deadline? do you change your thinking or do you stick to the rebuild and long term plan and he said that's a lot of supposing i think a paraphrasing <laughs> it didn't sound like he was ready to, to change course or to be a buyer of any note uh, I think he's very satisfied with the job Jeremy Carlton has done developing this group and certainly the the young players are developing on the ice and I think Stan's going to stick to the plan and, and not do anything substantial as he moves forward here. here is, uh,
1: here's Jonathan Taves, his congratulations to Patrick Kane on his 1,000th game the other night on NBC Sports Chicago.
2: Kaner, congrats on 1,000 games, buddy. Uh, it's pretty incredible.
1: I think you've, uh, you've hit a few milestones lately, but this is a big one. I uh, hope you enjoy it, the boys, with your family. Proud of you, buddy. Uh, it's been a special ride to be a part of it with you since day one, since we were rookies. Uh, but yeah, man, pretty incredible. Proud of you. Wish I was there to celebrate with you. See you soon, man. Talked to Patrick earlier this week, and we're going to hear some of that on the other side. Uh, Taves has been in contact with Patrick throughout this season. Uh, they've talked a little bit about uh, the, the surprising start this team has had. He's congratulated him on his 400th goal and, and of course, on his 1,000th game. It, it was It's strange to see two guys that came in the league together, the cornerstones of the franchise, it's it's weird that you know the only member of the band that's really out there with Patrick for these accolades and these accomplishments and these milestones is Duncan Keith these days
2: yeah who would have guessed that too right and and we talked about it I think two weeks ago Duncan wants to play till he's like 45 right and and with all this with all his apparatus and regimen and workout who's to doubt that so uh, I mean, look at Patrick Kane and, and still firmly in the Hart Trophy conversation. Although Connor McDavid has got 50 points now, and, and maybe some people are still saying it's a two-man race and, and Patrick's the third man there. But um, you know, it was a great—it's a great milestone. And frankly, you know, six years ago, five years ago, I wasn't so sure Patrick Kane'd still be wearing a Hawk sweater at this point.
1: Is Patrick Kane competitive when it comes to the points race? We're going to find that out on the other side. How long do you think Kane will play? I asked him that question. And has he invested in his body like Tom Brady and LeBron James? It's all coming up next when we talk to Patrick Kane on The Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. The Hockey
0: Show. Presented by Coors Light. Boyle and Brian Hanley host Chicago's only show dedicated to hockey fans. Listen on the new ESPN ESPN Chicago Chicago app from anywhere.
3: The Hockey Show. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN
0: 1000. Detroit now will reorganize Anthony Mantha The new center approaching Calvin DeHaan. The outside of him. Lay it back, over-skated by Stall.
4: collected by Debrinket. Now he and Kane come on a two-on-one. Kane
0: delays, he'll drag it, his shot. He scores! That's hockey, baby! That's 400 for Patrick Kane!
1: That's hockey, baby, Patrick Kane's 400th goal. A little over a week ago. The Hawks have 85 goals in the first half. Kane has been on the ice For 50 of those 85. (laughs) Do you think
2: he's important to this team, Brian Hanley? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. I I reserve judgment. But right now I tend to to say yes.
1: Well, I I got a chance to talk to him ahead of his 1,000th game last week. And uh, a a few things stuck out. Um, That achieving these milestones and these accolades just fuels him. He he says, I I just want more. His passion and love for this game, and we're going to get into that with Mark Lazarus from the Athletic will joined us at the bottom of the hour. He did a great piece on Kane basically from ages 11 to 16. He talked to former teammates, billet family members who housed Kane and and you got a kind of a sense of what was behind this this player as, as a young kid and and some of the things he went through to become the player he is now. I just don't see the passion and love for this game, leaving this guy any, anytime soon. And I think when you think about the players, the great players that you covered throughout your career, Brian, there are times I think the players get jaded, you know, whether they look at it as a business, they get traded, they, they feel mistreated by management, the, they don't like the, the criticism from fans or, or what have you. One thing from Patrick Kane is his love for this game has never wavered. I've seen it since day one, since he walked in that locker room, and he still has it 14 seasons later.
2: You know, Patrick, I I, I covered the team when Ed Belfour was sent packing, J.R., Chelly was traded. We talked to him a few weeks ago on the show, and he talked about the emotions going through it even still. And so they weren't necessarily, you know, they were upset they weren't getting paid, and it was a different front office then, and, and obviously with Bill Wertz. In charge, he had kind of an old time, old way of thinking in terms of compensating players. That said, I remember right before one, the first lockout, I think the, the back in ninety five when they just started the United Center, mm-hmm. and Steve Smith was sitting there. I'd been on championship teams with Edmonton, and we were just talking, and he said, "You know, we're talking about the, how long the strike, the lockout could go, and all that." And he said, "You know, don't write this, but we'd play this game for free." You know, that's pretty much the mentality of hockey players. And that's why whenever I covered pretty much every sport in 26 years of the Sun-Times, and people said, you know, what was your favorite sport to cover? And I always said, hockey. And they'd look at me, you know, what's wrong with this guy? You know, you covered Michael Jordan and all that. And it's because of that attitude. They loved they they loved the game, and they loved the fact that people even want to write about them.
1: You know, uh, Patrick Kane right now sits third in the points race. You, you mentioned it earlier. Connor McDavid with 51. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl, his teammate, checks in with 44. So, so Patrick is now third in the points race. We had David Amber on from Hockey Night in Canada, uh, a week or so ago, and, and he said he would give his vote to Kane because McDavid quite frankly is playing with with better players that that was his take. So I asked Patrick who's uber competitive when it comes to, you know, practice with the or shooting with Sharp back in the day. He is he's is very very competitive. I asked him if he's competitive when it comes to this NHL points race. Here's what he had to say.
3: i definitely pay attention to it. I think you know, like if you're going up like if you're looking at like let's say McDavid and Crosby and Matthews and Marner, I mean these guys are so good. They're going to get their points. They're going to put up numbers. So like sometimes I'm watching them as a fan too, just to kind of learn some things and see what they do on the ice and see what works for them. Um, but at the same time, I think when I get on the ice, um, you know, I'm competitive too, Where you know, I want to, I never, I guess I never really think about, you know, putting up points. Obviously points are nice and you good to look at and something you enjoy, but, for me, it's more about like creating and getting the puck and creating scoring chances. And I feel like if I do that enough in a game um, where I'm getting the puck a lot, then things are going to happen and there's going to be some scoring chances created. So that's where I really try to, uh, you know, that's what I try to set my mind on, I would say, like before a game or
1: something. He looks at the game of hockey through a different lens than the rest of us do. He, he's he's like an artist out there. He, The way he describes it is, He's looking to create. He's looking to create chances. Chances create goals or points. And then points create ultimately wins and cups. So, you know, we got into the competitive side. Also, you know, I've talked to uh, a few people that are in his camp. Ian Mack, who's been his trainer. Um, We we talked to Daryl Belfry, who's been his skills coach since he was a, a kid. And they all say that Patrick can play into his 40s. So I asked him directly, you know, how, how long do you think you want to play this game?
3: I don't know. I don't know. I, just, I think, uh, like I said, I'm having fun right now. And I uh, still love it as much as I did when I, when I was a kid. So I guess that's a good thing that, you know, the passion's still there and the fire still burns. Um, I was telling the brink after practice the other day that I'll just – I'll just play as long as he plays even though he's you know, <laughs> nine years younger than me. So <laughs> if he plays till he's forty, then I guess I'll play till I'm forty nine or whatever it may be. But no, I don't know. I don't know what that number will be. There's there's still like I mean, who knows like what happens with your body and what uh what goes on, but um I know that I'll do everything I can to like take care of myself and take care of my body to make sure it feels you know, as good as it does now, later down down the road, uh, towards the end of my career as well.
1: Brian, he's smart enough to not throw a number out there, but I I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he could play into his early forties if he wanted to.
2: Well, a couple things there uh, with that answer and that your questions, Pat. Um, we talked about would he embrace a rebuild? A lot of guys, whatever sport, name of sport, say no thanks. I'm at a different point in my career. I want to win. He never. Articulate that and steady embraced the rebuild. Now, like you said, he's having so much fun with Debrinkin in particular and setting that kid up every which way he can to, for him to score goals. So, I mean, how many times, do you, whatever sport you cover, you, you used to see guys grab the score sheet after the game, whether it's a, in a, a dressing room in hockey or in a baseball clubhouse, they want to see, you know, who did what in particular, what did I do? And, you know, baseball, they call up to the uh, official scorer or want to get a, an error changed to a hit or whatever. And that's just, you know, that's selfishness. Uh, the the fact that it, it's whether it's a goal for DeBrinckit and an assist for Patrick Kane, he, he seems to enjoy it just as much. And look, we, we've watched him grow up here. I mean, there I go, I go back to that South Bend press conference in Notre Dame when John McDonough sat next to him, and you could have told me it was 50-50 at best that he was going to be here for another season or two, let alone long term. So we've seen him change. We've seen him taking care of his body. Now, I think talent carried him the first part of his career here with the Blackhawks. And I think he rededicated himself and focused in on things and matured, quite frankly, just matured on and off the ice.
1: I think that's well said. I, I think since 2015, we're seeing a um, a different level of commitment from Patrick. And, uh, and some of that is he's invested in his body now, and, and and I asked him the question. You know, when you look at Tom Brady winning a Super Bowl in his early 40s, LeBron winning another championship in his mid 30s, is it safe to say that you're kind of following in their lead as far as investing in your body and trying to uh, uh, prolong your career? Here's what he had to say.
3: Yeah, I think so. Um, especially as as you get older, I think yeah you learn more and more about your body as far as like what works for you and, and what doesn't, um, you know, those guys are definitely guys that I look up to. Um, you know, I've really enjoyed watching LeBron for the past, I think he's in, in his 18th year, which is, which is crazy. Um, he's been a guy I've always enjoyed watching. It's amazing how good he is still, you know, in his 18th season. And like when you mentioned Brady, guys just never really sees us through a maze. So, um, yeah, I think as a professional athlete, that's the best investment you can make is, is in your body and to, to take care of yourself. and it seems like it's really worked out for those guys.
1: And it's worked out for Patrick as well. So he's put the, the time, he's put the money into it. And uh, I think that's why we've seen since 2015, we've seen an MVP season in 16. A couple years ago, we saw the most points he's had uh, as a member of the NHL, 110 points this year. Although it's this 56 game schedule, you know statistically it's one of his his best seasons to date. And again, he's doing it well this year. He's doing it with Alex And Alex Brinkett, I don't think we're giving him enough credit for uh, just the the bounce back year he's having. And I asked I asked Jamal Mayers and Steve Conroy, you know, what is the ceiling for Alex DeBrinken? Can he be a star in this league? And The answer from those guys is, yeah,
2: he can be. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, you you just look at how those two are clicking, and they sit here at the halfway mark, 14, 9, and 5. I know one of our Twitter followers said, tell me how that's not a a 500 record. You know, (laughs) why do they get credit? You know, it's 14 and 14. But they wouldn't be anywhere near this mark, certainly without Patrick Kane leading on and off the ice and also to Brinkett having the season he's having and the two of them having the season they're having collectively. So what the second half holds, uh, who knows? We have a Twitter poll. Can, can they better their, their – in the second half, can they better the mark they had in the first half? Um, the fact that we're even talking about a playoff team and we're talking about 14 wins in, in 28 games here, if you told me that after the first four games of the season, I would have said you're crazy.
1: Coming up next, Mark Lazarus joins us from the Athletic. Did a great piece on Patrick. He and Scott Powers do a tremendous job covering this team. We'll get into the Hawks' first half and specifically Patrick Kane's past. It's coming up next on The Hockey Show on ESPN 1000.
3: You're listening to The Hockey
0: Show. Pat Boyle and Brian Hanley host Chicago's only show dedicated to hockey fans.
3: The Hockey Show.
0: Presented by Coors Light.
3: On Chicago's home for sports. ESPN
0: 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app.
1: Rolling on on the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000, presented by Coors Light. Break away from the nonstop chill with Brian Hanley. I am Pat Boyle. And joining us now from The Athletic is Mark Lazarus. You can follow him on Twitter, at Mark Lazarus. He did a great piece on uh, Patrick Kane. The title of it was called The Incredible Stories of Blackhawks star Patrick Kane's Days as America's Most Dominant Youth Hockey Player Ever. And he joins us now on the Corona Hotline. Good morning, Mark. Thank you for doing this. Uh, you know, you've covered Patrick for a, for a long time. This was a deep dive from the people that knew him best when he was a kid, uh, teammates, uh, billet family members, coaches. What did you learn about Kane when you did this story?
4: Well, I honestly, that uh, he was a lot like he is now back then, where he's just singularly focused on hockey. His whole life with hockey. He'd get you know yelled at by his billet mom for stick handling in his room at midnight. He would go to practices in, in snowstorms when nobody else would show up. He just needed to be on the ice all the time. As an 11-year-old, he played on like six different teams at once. He would stay after practice and just join another team's practice just because he wanted to stay on the ice, and the other kids would be like, sure, come practice with us. Uh, he was just obsessed with it. And, and, and a lot of his teammates had the same thing, like, you know, I liked hockey growing up. I didn't like hockey the way Patrick Kane liked hockey. <laughs> it's just always been this obsession of his. Um, and it was interesting to see that you know he it, you know you 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 talk to him a lot these days you you talk to him now, and he he wants to talk about hockey, he wants to talk about other teams he wants to talk about a game he saw last night, he and Debrinkit and Strom will sit there and just nerd out over hockey stats and things like that. It's just it's always been the way he is uh you know obviously he's got a son now, and I'm sure he has other interests in life, but he still you know spends most of his time with hockey on the brain,
2: so that said, Mark, are you surprised that he, he likes the rebuild and he likes being around young guys? We were just talking about a lot of guys at his point in his career that have had championships and, and led teams to championships would say, you know, I'm I'm not looking at three or four years of who knows what. I I'd like to like to continue to win, whatever that looks like.
4: Well, I, I coming into the season I was interested to see how he would handle it because I think, you know, I like just about everybody else, thought they would just be terrible this year. You know, and if they were, you know, twenty points out, if they were where Detroit is right now, would he still be having this much of uh, fun and, and and having this good of a season? I don't know. Probably because he likes scoring goals, but. Um he's always been kind of like the Pied Piper for the young guys, even dating back to before, like, you know, to Brinkett and Stromer on the scene. I mean, you think back to like 2013, and he was hanging out with Andrew Shaw, who was like a rookie. You know, he, he in Brandon Saad, those were always his closest friends. He was never, I mean, he was always tight with, you know, Taves and Keith and Seabrook, but he always hung out with the younger guys. He always kind of gravitated toward them. And these last few years, you know, when they really got this infusion of youth, he's always, he's been like the, like, like a, almost like a partition to captain. Like he's been the captain of the young guys while Taze was the captain of the, the rest of the team because the young guys, they all grew up watching Patrick Kane. Everybody wants to be Patrick Kane on the ice now because he kind of helped revolutionize the game he didn't play that heavy, hard style. He just went out there and dangled and danced and scored and did spinoramas. And you know, that's what you want to do when you're 12 years old. You don't want to be a defense. You don't want to be, you know, a two way guy. You want to be a goal scorer. And so, you know, the young guys have always gravitated toward him, and then he sees these guys, they're they're practicing skills and doing things at practices that he never did when he was a kid because the game wasn't that way. So he gravitates towards them because, you know, he's learning things. And then they spend 25 minutes after every practice just screwing around playing games, and, you know, it's, it's great for everybody. But Patrick Kane's always been the guy who the young kids have looked up to. I think there's almost an intimidation factor with Taves and Keith and those guys. But Kane, he's just one of the kids out there when they're practicing.
1: It's Mark Lazarus from The Athletic joining us on the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. You talk about the the, the kids looking up to Kane. You just have to watch the NHL, NHL draft, and every 17- and 18-year-old, whether they're uh, overseas, they're from Canada, or they're from the United States, more than half of them have their hockey idol as Patrick Kane. And reading your piece... One thing that I found, uh, interesting is, you know, he was always the best on the ice at, at every level. But questions about his lack of size fueled his critics. And, you know, like how he originally wasn't on that U.S. De- developmental team, uh, in, uh, in Detroit. And, and before London, he was considered to be a fourth round pick. I wonder if, you know, how Tom Brady's been kind of somewhat fueled by being drafted number 199 uh if there's been a chip a little bit on, on patrick's shoulder about you know the critics thinking that well you know when they start checking that that's when you know this kid's going right. to not be able to produce
4: yeah i mean he faced it at every face when he was 11 he faced it when he was 14 at honeybake he faced it at uh the u.s development program he faced it in london he even faced it i mean when he got drafted by the blackhawks there were people like really you're taking that guy number one overall that little guy you know and even in 2007 uh, that the NHL was still a big man's game. It wasn't really a small man's game yet. Um, I don't know if it necessarily fueled him. I mean, he's always just had this, you know, kind of ineffable self-belief that he was better than everybody else out there. And I don't think he, he never struck me as a chip-on-the-shoulder kind of player where a lot of, like like Andrew Shaw, that was a chip-on-the-shoulder type player. He, he got passed over in the draft two times, and that just angered him and fueled him. I never got that vibe from Kane. I'm sure there's some of it. I'm sure he loves shoving it in people's faces, don't get me wrong but I, I never got the sense that he needed that extra fuel like he's not a guy who's out there searching for artificial motivation he just wanted to be out there and just had these natural gifts and worked so hard at them that i i just think it's it, it's all come pretty naturally to him
2: so mark when you look at what he and de are doing in particular and and, and how he kind of helps shape the younger guys and and the focus they have you know, just like Marion Hossa did with him, and he talked about how you know if Marion Hosa could do the dirty work and all the non-glamorous stuff that, then he could certainly do it. When you look at this first half record, what what lies ahead in the second half? Can they be even better? Because you know, even the other night they don't play a really good game, but there have been a handful of those games where they should have legitimately lost those games and they found ways to win.
4: Yeah, it's so hard to put your finger on this team because they're still. I mean, you look overall, and they're not. Necessarily very good. You know, you look at a lot of their underlying metrics. They're giving up too many shots, and you could say, "Oh, well, they're from the perimeter." You could say their uh, their 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 expected goals isn't very high, but they've got some good finishers on the team that can overcome that. I mean, so far they're doing it with great goaltending and Kanan to bring it. I mean, that's what's really driving the bus here. Um, League's getting hot now. Suter's been good. Karishel's been good. But, you know, this is still kind of, uh, I don't want to call it a smoke and mirrors team because they're playing, you know, well enough to, to win these games. They, they've got this great work ethic and this relentlessness relentlessness that Jeremy is always talking about. Guys like Brandon Hagel are really giving an identity to this team. But they have a long way to go. This is not a good hockey team yet. I mean, they're probably going to make the playoffs this year. Detroit's awful, Nashville's awful, Columbus is awful, and Dallas has a, has a mountain to climb, and they've got to make up a ton of games in a short amount of time. The Blackhawks should make the playoffs this year, which is an incredible thing to say at the halfway point. But there's a lot, There's a much higher ceiling than what they're doing right now. They're, they're a very flawed team still that's kind of skating by on uh, you know, winning games in overtime and getting great goaltending. They need to be a lot better than this. Um, the, the, the encouraging thing is that they certainly can be. There's still you know, seven, eight rookies playing every night, and they're still adjusting to that new system, and they're still adjusting to the NHL as a whole. Ian Mitchell will be back in the lineup tonight. He looked very good early on, and he didn't look that good against Tampa, and he sat for a couple of games, and we'll see how he responds to that. There, there's a there's a long way for this team to go. The question is, are they going to lose some of these important veteran pieces like a Carl Soderberg or a Matthias Yanmark at the trade deadline? Because you know you can't be thinking win now, right now. This is still a long a long haul here, and uh, Stan Bowman is going to have some interesting decisions to make uh, uh, on April, April 12th.
1: The Athletics, Mark Lazarus joins us on the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000, presented by Coors Light. Break away from the nonstop chill. I, I agree with you. I, I think you uh, you know the focus that this franchise told us they were taking in the offseason and the simple fact that we've seen you know what nine rookies play at least a game for the hawks six have made their nhl debut with this team this year i i I think they look at kirby doc coming back in say early to mid-april as their deadline acquisition and if if you truly think that you know you are there's a big gap between you and tampa or you know, you and Carolina, whoever the, the top seed is in the Central Division, I'm, I'm with you. I, w- I would move a Yanmark uh, for a second round pick, or if somebody was interested in Soderbergh, uh, I I would go that route before I would start trying to add any pieces, right?
4: Yeah. And, you know, Scott Powers has said this a few times. It's a great idea. You could always re sign Yanmark in the offseason. He likes it here. The players like him. Go get something for him now and then go get him back in the offseason. We've seen that happen before. Um, it's interesting. Like you know, this is an unusual trade deadline, and this is an unusual season for a number of reasons. But it's not necessarily good for a lot of teams to make the playoffs. Teams are going to lose money by making the playoffs, even if they're letting in two or three thousand fans a game. You know, if you get one round, two rounds of playoffs, you're you're not making money off of that. You know, in most seasons, getting a round of, the, of playoffs, getting some home gate in that first round is huge in terms of the bottom line for these teams. But unless you're going to win the Stanley Cup, unless you're Carolina, Tampa, Boston, uh, you know, maybe the Islanders, one of these teams that could really, Vegas, that could really win the Stanley Cup this year, it's not, there, there's less of a, you still want to win, don't get me wrong, but you're, there's less of an impetus to go for it at the trade deadline this year because it's less of a benefit of making the playoffs. It's always good to make the playoffs, but you're not making the money from making the playoffs this year that you normally would. So I think a lot of teams are going to, just going to be like, you know what? I'm going to sit back. If I can get a couple of parts here and there, but I'm not going to go crazy here. At the time. I'm not going to sacrifice anything significant. I'm not going to give up a first round pick. I'm not going to give up a top prospect to get a rental this year because the payoff just isn't significant.
2: Do you know more about Jeremy Colleton now than you did going into the season?
4: You know, not really. He's not a guy that really lets you in, you know, and that's, and that's fine. That's 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 his prerogative. He's not. Uh, uh, he. It's it's been it's it's interesting to hear him talk about. He's opened up a little bit more about the way his career ended, especially with Andrew Shaw being in concussion protocol. You could tell that really hit him hard because his career was 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 cut short by by concussions. And every now and then he gives you a glimpse. But uh, he's the same coach he was the last couple of years. You know the way the guys talk about him about the communication and all that. I think there's just more reception to it this year because there's so many young guys. He's a great coach. If you're a 22-year-old trying to break into the league, he's exactly the kind of coach you want. Would this would, would he have worked with the 2015 Blackhawks? Probably not. I don't think you get that kind of buy-in from that team. Um, would Joel Twenville have worked for this team? I'm writing a column about that today. It's like I don't know that you know Joel Twenville You know, with nine rookies on his team, I'm not sure that would have worked. He's the right guy for this team, and it's evident in just the way these guys work. They they they've always the last couple of years, his team has always fought. They never they never you know you know gave in, and then, and they always fought back in the third period. They just didn't have the talent. But this year you're seeing a, a really evident buy-in. And Patrick Kane and Alex Dabrinkit have been kind of, you know, beating that horse all year, you know, trying to uh, like give some credit to Colleton. Because you look at the way these guys work, and they are outmatched. They are outmaned in most games. But they're in every single game, other than that Dallas game a, a little while ago. Every third period, it's tied going into the third period. They're going to overtime and shootouts all the time. This is a team that's playing above its pay grade right now. And, you know, I think it's literally, I think their salary cap is like $51 million right now with all the guys on injured reserve. So it's it's really a testament to his ability to keep these guys motivated and working hard that this is probably a playoff team right now.
1: My last question for you, it's probably one you get, uh, I don't know, at least five, six times a day. I certainly get it. We saw Jonathan Taves on the uh, NBC Sports Chicago broadcast the other night giving uh, Patrick Kane the shout out for his 1,000th game. Do you... Do you think we're going to see Taves on the ice with the Hawks uh, in the second half of this season?
4: I, I, I have. Let me preface this by saying I have nothing to base this on, but no. I think it's pretty clear by now. He's not on the ice in any capacity now. There's, there's what, two months left in the season. Uh, this has gone on for apparently since last summer. Um, I think from, from, from what I've heard from talking to people in the organization, they hope and expect he'll be back next year, but nobody knows anything for sure right now. I mean, everything you read online is not true. Don't believe the idiots just throwing random diagnoses out there. There is no diagnosis. Um, It's it's kind of a mystery right now. Um, But there is, uh, you know, I think there's some expectation that he will be playing next year. I think it's. I'd love to see him on the ice this year. Don't get me wrong. Nobody's ruled it out as far as I know. But it just seems more and more unlikely the more and more we that that this goes on.
1: Mark, keep up the great work at at the Athletic, and uh, look forward to uh, doing a Zoom with you later on tonight.
4: I'm excited.
1: <laughs> give us, give me your favorite uh, cueism as as you exit stage
4: yeah. left. You know, I was on his Zoom call this morning with the Panthers, yeah, and, and someone asked him about you know how far the Hawks have come since that first week, and he goes, you know, I didn't mind them the first time we saw them. Like, he's even doing that still, even three years later.
1: <laughs> what'd, you, what'd you think of them? Average. That means, yeah, <laughs> ordinary. Or, ordinary. All right, Mark, uh, nice job, uh, and we will uh, talk to you later tonight. Thanks, guys. It's Mar- Mark Lazarus from The Athletic. Uh, Joel Quenville's Florida Panthers will take on the Blackhawks tonight, 6 o'clock. we got the pregame show for you at 5.30 on NBC Sports Chicago. On the other side, it's one-timers on the hockey show on ESPN 1000
0: you're listening to The Hockey Show, presented by Coors Light. When you're at home, don't miss Chicago's only show dedicated to hockey fans. Tell your smart speaker to play ESPN 1000. He's one-timer. Goal! One-timers. One-timer by Alverson. It's scored! On The Hockey Show. one timer On ESPN 1000. One more time. It's one-timers. We
1: take a trip around the National Hockey League and give you uh, a quick thought or two. Brian, lead us off. What's your first one-timer?
2: Well, Patrick, I can't believe it's 2021, and we're still trying to figure out what's a dangerous hit, what's an illegal hit. Uh, Shortly after we got off the air last Saturday, the uh, NHL announced a seven-game suspension for Tom Wilson. No, uh, No stranger to discipline in this league after he delivered an elbow to the head of Brandon Carlo. And his coach, Peter Laviolette, says, well, if that's a hit. If that's an illegal hit, we got to get rid of hitting. And, uh, I mean, come on. It, it not only was a hit, it the fact that there was no penalty called on the play makes me wonder what the referees, Dean Morton and Pierre Lambert, were looking at. And I think they should have gotten some time off, too. But they were working Thursday night, so that wasn't the case. And, and Connor Murphy gets the match penalty and uh, ejection, rightfully so, and doesn't get suspended. So, you know, at some point, this league has to th- figure out what is what when it comes to protecting the players, and the players have to figure it out. And Tom Wilson's, you know, he, he, Tom Wilson—he's a good, very good forward. He didn't have to do this stuff, but he's been doing it for years. So, my, and when you're going,
1: a repeat offender like he is, that—that that, that's why you see the, the type of suspension that he got, hey, and then the reason he, why Connor Murphy didn't get any.
2: He's uh, Wilson's got—he's tenth in penalty minutes, active players right now. And the other nine guys in front of him have played five or more years than he has. I mean, that's all you need to know. But, you know, the officials have to start figuring out what's what. They can look at replay, what they huddled up and came out with no penalty, uh, and and then he gets suspended, and then Connor Murphy gets the match penalty, and there's no suspension. All you need, you need some congruity here. You need some, the, the NHL has to figure it out so everyone knows what they're looking at.
1: My one-timer is uh, the NHL and ESPN announced a seven-year multi-platform deal. And, Brian, that means we get to hear this. One of the great themes in all of sports broadcasting, the NHL on ESPN. I was back at ESPN in 2004 when... They last had the NHL contract, and I got lucky enough to do NHL Tonight with a Barry Melrose, a Ray <laughs> Ferraro, a Darren Pang, John Bouchergras. So what it's was
2: great- that bar in Hartford that everyone showed up at after games? You know, we, we would be there after the, the media, the referees, the players, and I, it seemed like everyone from ESPN uh, showed up at that sports bar. Yeah.
1: When I was there, I mean, you know, so... Downtown Hartford's a little ways away from Bristol. We went, It's about two blocks, yeah, too. Well, yeah, but, uh, like, in Bristol, I remember after a show, we'd, like, go to a Friday's or something. It was, it was pretty depressing. <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, but, it, it, look, this is great. This is great for the league, and it's great for ESPN. They're going to have 25 regular season games, likely on Saturdays, and they'll have, you know, uh, maybe 15 on ESPN, the other 10 on ABC. They'll have uh extensive streaming rights. They'll have four Stanley Cup finals over the seven years. They're going to get to broadcast and pick the conference final that they want to carry. They're going to uh spend over $400 million a year Whoa. on this. Now, there's going to be another TV deal coming up, probably be announced in the next week or two. NBC and Fox are bidding for the other portion of, of This contract so look more TV more better more money more stability for this this league. I think it's great that they're Going to have a fo- solid footing with the worldwide leader ESPN and I think whoever gets the other portion Probably it'll be NBC. This is just going to be like what the NBA has with with TNT and ESPN and ABC being on multi-platforms different networks different nights
2: more exposure, the better, as long as they don't bump those bags tournaments that I fell in love with <laughs> during the pandemic. Do you have another one-timer for us? Uh, no, that's it. I just, uh, you know, the, the fact that we've tried to get rid of the goonery in the NHL and when inadvertent hits, if that wasn't inadvertent, I don't think it was, even if it's an accidental hit, you got to protect the players. I mean, come on. That, that's first and foremost. You just, you know, Andrew Shaw, you see these guys with concussions, and, and to end careers prematurely, when you can do better, whether you're a player or the front office or the league, you got to do better. Hey, I got one
1: more one-timer. A shout out to Pat Dahl and the Blackhawks. They they came up with a creative idea of how to celebrate Patrick Kane's 1,000th game. Uh, they put it out on social media. The journey to one Kane. It's Kane's <laughs> meditation as he counts to a thousand. Nine hundred ninety-eight. <laughs> Nine hundred ninety-nine. One
3: thousand. Let your body feel weightless (laughs) Float amongst the stars Look in that tall building over there (laughs) Who's that that in the window? Waving at you
1: It's me <laughs> it's me, Patty
2: Kane. Uh, that's Hello, great friend. stuff.
1: Hello, friend.
2: <laughs> Hello, friend.
1: That's it's time I think, to fall asleep. It is time to fall asleep, and it's hey, time pitch. to call it a show on uh, the hockey show on ESPN 1000, presented by Coors Light. Break away from the nonstop chill. Thanks for our producer, Tyler Hockey. Uh, Mark Lazarus from The Athletic. Brian, you're up next with Freddie Hubner. What do you got on the docket?
2: Uh, we got a 15-second pitch clock that we're going to be working with, and robo-umps, and, and no shifts. We got... The Bulls and uh, losing ways again. We got a lot to dissect here. You know, Anthony Rizzo going to be a Cub before the uh, extend the contract before opening day. Javier Baez, we got a lot to dissect.
1: Well, I'll be listening. The hockey show will be back next Saturday at 10 a.m. Blackhawks taking on Joel Quenville's Florida Panthers tonight at 6 o'clock. Hopefully they can uh, keep it going like they did the other night in Dallas. That's going to do it for the hockey show on ESPN 1000. For Brian Hanley, I'm Pat Boyle. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week.